Hi, it's Ken White. And it's Josh Barrow, and this is Serious Trouble. Hey, Ken, how are you this week? I'm great, Josh. How about you? Good, Ken. Uh, quite a diverse menu of, of people in serious trouble this week. You have uh, some of Donald Trump's attorneys are in pretty serious trouble, had uh, Rule 11 sanctions levied against them, which we, we've talked about how difficult it is to get sanctioned in a federal court. Elon Musk is in pretty serious trouble, so, some of which is legal trouble. Uh, a lot of it is business trouble that's sort of beyond our purview on, on this show. But uh, he has some, some legal issues, including that he's still having to appear in that Delaware Chancery Court, not in the case that everybody was following, but uh, still with that, that same chance Kathleen St. Jude McCormick. Uh, and of course, Sam Bankman-Fried is, is perhaps in the most serious trouble of all. It's true, Josh. And Donald Trump is still in serious trouble and trying unsuccessfully to get out of it in the special master proceedings regarding the documents seized from his Mar-a-Lago home and perhaps hoping that he can get out of it by announcing his intent to run for president. And what's the common thread through all this, Josh? Absolutely terrible judgment. Yes. And none of it is RICO. No. Uh, distinctly not. We're pretty sure none of it is Rico. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk about all of those things. We'll be getting to Trump a little bit later. We're going to be talking about uh, Elon Musk and some litigation related to Tesla and the implications it can have for Twitter. Th those conversations are going to be for paying subscribers. Uh, but we have, to begin, we're going to talk for everybody about Sam Bankman-Fried and what you should do on Twitter if you are quite possibly about to be indicted for an extremely large securities fraud. So if, if you want to hear that whole episode and you're not a paying subscriber, pause this episode right now, go to seriousTrouble.show, sign up, you can become a paying subscriber for $6 a month or $60 a year, and then the whole episode will be immediately available to you. There'll also be instructions about how to get it right here in your podcast player, uh, and you can hear that whole thing. But let's get into Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, so Sam Bankman-Fried, until several days ago, was a leading crypto magnate, uh, said to be worth billions and billions of dollars, became a major donor to the Democratic Party or Democratic Party entities, uh, leader of uh, a philanthropic movement uh, related to effective altruism and trying to fight against killer AI and all this sort of stuff. His money arose from these two companies, FTX, which is a crypto exchange, and Alameda Research, which was an uh, investment firm that he ran. And then the things all blew up spectacularly uh, over the last several days, uh, with people realizing that, hey, maybe the stuff that these entities were holding wasn't actually worth anything. Maybe it was a bunch of magic beans, even by crypto standards. I mean, obviously, crypto is fake in general, but the, uh, the assets that were on the balance sheets of these two Two entities were like fake even by crypto standards. Basically, coins they issued themselves uh, and then put on their balance sheet said they were worth billions of dollars without any deep market to validate that. So anyway, everyone tried to get their money out of FTX. Some people were not successful. It does not have enough money to cover all of those client withdrawals. So there's going to be a bankruptcy. And meanwhile, Sam Bankman-Fried is tweeting through all of it. And so, Ken, I'm first of all, I want to know about your emotional reaction to that as a criminal defense lawyer, watching someone who, whether he knows it or not, is a criminal defense client who just, you know, keeps putting it all out there on Twitter, ever-shifting explanations of what happened, uh, and even an ongoing campaign trying to raise more capital to somehow recapitalize his company because people, for some reason, I guess he thinks might put more money into it. How did that feel for you as a lawyer? Well, as a lawyer, Josh, my wife's out of town, so I've been drinking quite a lot, <laughs> and uh, I've been managing to uh, get through it. But yes, SBF, as he is playfully known, is not a uh, homunculus made by fell magicians specifically to vex and annoy lawyers, uh, or at least that's what my <laughs> therapist says. He is, however, 
going through the playbook of everything you would not want a client or loved one or anyone you didn't absolutely hate member of your molecule exactly yes. he he is it's sort of the the epitome of the stereotype of people in this industry of tech bros as being sort of on a different mental plane and completely clueless about how the real world works so he's basically freestyling on twitter about the situation, not only is he making all sorts of statements about uh, the finances of these companies and what he knew and the circumstances that could be used as evidence against him, but plausibly some of these statements could be new crimes or new violations of, of federal securities law. When you're making representations about the circumstances or value of a security or, uh, of something of value like that, and people are making decisions based on it, and you know they're going to do that, that can be securities fraud or other types of fraud if you know the statements are false. And it's very typical for securities fraud lawsuits or indictments to talk about how the wrongdoers continued to lull investors or others by what they were saying about what's going on and how it's going to be fixed. So that's why when situations are competently handled, you see all of the communications, all the messaging taken over and very strictly controlled uh, with the input of securities lawyers. This is just like what would a federal prosecutor like to happen if the federal prosecutor was daydreaming? Um, <laughs> this is pretty much what they would like to happen. And and the securities plaintiffs' lawyers, oh my God, they, they are absolutely drooling over this. There is going to be such a parade of securities lawyers heading to the courthouse with various securities fraud cases. Well, but so I guess the issue is like, if you're suing over securities fraud, you have to show securities fraud, but then there also has to be someone that you can collect money from. I mean, there's this news report about that David Boys is supposedly out there trying to get people together for a lawsuit where they would sue various celebrity endorsers of FTX, the exchange that Sam Bankman-Fried had founded. There were advertisements with Giselle and Tom Brady and Larry David. Is that the sort of thing that you can do? Can you go after the, the actor who appeared in an ad for a business that ended up being a scam? That would be very difficult uh, without being able to prove that the actor knew that the representations they were making were false. So here, just because uh, Giselle and Tom Brady do this darling advertisement trading on the famous stability of their marriage uh, <laughs> to indicate why you should buy FTX, unless they knew at the time this was bogus, there's probably not a strong case against them. You could probably shake them down for some money to avoid the expense of litigation. I mean, that's why Matt Damon hasn't been sued uh, successfully for doing <laughs> stupid Super Bowl advertisements about the last set of crypto gibberish. But you're right. You're always looking for a deep pocket in this situation, or if not deep, at least with some money in it. And it's going to be hard to get money out of SBF in his inner circle. They've probably taken that offshore and, uh, you know, they have high powered lawyers. That's going to be difficult. But there are always plenty of people on the periphery who participated in the process who you can shake down for money and some of whom may actually have liability if they knew what was going on here. 
Yeah. So I guess part of the thing about Sam Bankman-Fried tweeting through it, I mean, first of all, if he had good judgment, he wouldn't tweet like this. But if he had good judgment, he would not have ended up in this position in the first place. And I assume that's a theme with people who become defendants in cases like this. You're, you're dealing with people who have excessive appetites for risk. Sam Bankman-Fried actually has a whole ethical framework in which his, you know, his whole idea behind the philanthropy had this implication where basically you're supposed to take enormous risks because the benefits of what you could do if those risks pay off and you have tremendous piles of money to do all this philanthropy stuff with, that that basically counseled that you should run a greater risk of financial ruin than most other people would in your in your position because they don't have the same utility function. They don't, uh, they, they don't value $200 billion twice as much as $100 billion. But in theory, you do if you're supposed to take all the money and save the world with it. So anyway, he has this known immense appetite for risk which I assume makes it difficult to get him to take cautious advice, especially when I assume in some of these situations, there's there's one set of things you would do strategically if you are trying to minimize your liability as a potential criminal defendant or as someone who may be sued civilly. But there are other things you want to do if you really think you can rebuild the business and get it to start again. Now, I th- he's delusional. He's not going to get people to invest in this. But if he did have a hope of convincing investors to throw billions of more dollars at him to recapitalize his company, he would be having to make public statements about why it was a good idea to put money into his company. And that would presumably conflict with the goal of trying to limit that sort of legal liability. Yes, but those statements would have to be incredibly carefully vetted. So we've talked a lot on this show and before this on uh, all the president's lawyers about how a lot of the time it's not the crime, it's the cover-up that gets you. And securities can often be similar. There can be some big disaster that harms the value of the company. And often what gets people in criminal or civil trouble is not the actions that led to the disaster, but the follow-up, what you do to try to keep investors from fleeing the company, try to keep the stock price from uh, tanking, everything else you do. And that would be the same here. If he did have this goal that, you know, he wanted to pull this out and somehow, you know, bring the magic beans back, (laughs) then that's exactly when he's in the most danger because he's making representations out there that um, people may rely on. Here's the thing. Um, You know, people like this, sometimes they've succeeded in the past because they're brilliant and have good judgment. Sometimes uh, they succeeded because there are a lot of people trying things and statistically some of them are going to succeed. And they mistake being in the right time, right place at the right time a couple of times for brilliance and good judgment. And then they take a really big swing and they miss. So this is a guy who has a certain level of hubris, who likes to talk about how uh, he thinks reading books is a waste of time because <laughs> if you wrote a book, it should be in a six-paragraph blog post. That sort of ethos, uh, the extremely arrogant about his own thoughts and abilities. And that is really dangerous in the long term, that complete lack of anything resembling humility. And that's what gets you into this sort of situation where he can't even conceive of the concept that maybe his evaluation of the situation is wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's a a lot of strategies that will work if the underlying asset that they involve keeps going up and up and up in price. Even stupid strategies can make money if you're in a market that is 
irrationally exuberant. And obviously, the crypto market was of that nature for a while. And then this crash, I mean, you know, it's the there's sort of a temptation, I'm sure, if you're in, in his position to say, well, it was bad luck, the prices crashed. But that's the thing. Like, you know, if you have a strategy that's not robust to the fact that prices are volatile in cryptocurrency, that's not a that's not a fucking surprise. Then you've de- you've demonstrated that really, it's not that you had something brilliant going on. It's that you had something that was sustainable, uh, so long as the prices kept going up. I, I'd also note in terms of those, you know, vetting of representations that one makes, uh, the, a crypto trade publication called The Block. I don't love, by the way, that I'm having to read these crypto trade publications, and I'm hopeful that the news <laughs> will shift in such a way that I, I don't need to even know the names of these places. But they reported that back in 2018, Alameda Research, the Sam Bankman-Fried's investment uh, entity, was circulating a pitch deck that advertised a 15% interest rate on loans to Alameda and said, quote, high returns with no risks, unquote, uh, was the uh, was the nature of this investment if you were to lend to them at 15%. And that's like the biggest red flag I can possibly imagine. Like if, if the pitch deck says high returns and no risks, run screaming because that means that it is a scam. And in fairness to the sorts of people who received this pitch, it apparently didn't work very well, which is why they then had to found this exchange and rate it for client funds and use that to finance Alameda. Because even, even people in the crypto space were apparently able to see through this idea that you could get a 15% return uh, with no risk. Yeah, I mean, everyone wants the no-risk investment. That's how scams work. Everyone wants to believe this guy's invented the perpetual motion machine, right, that uh, disobeys the normal laws of (laughs) physics or finance and uh, will keep generating value without putting anything into it. That's why he gets people to uh, put money in. And the the danger is now, you know, the, the feds have wanted for a while to come in and do things about crypto mm-hmm. um, and to come in understanding it possibly less than we do uh, and to just Bigfoot their way all over the place and uh, make an example and that and get a splash and that type of thing. And this case is just begging. This is just grabbing the SEC by the lapels and shaking them and demanding that they come in and mess around with you. So uh, I, I think that you're definitely going to see heavy SEC involvement, probably federal criminal involvement. And uh, this is too tempting for them. And so then if, if you're trying to make that case against Sam Bankman-Fried, I mean, so, so I mean, a, a number of the representations that he's made in recent days that I, I think we've identified would be of concern were, were claims about the financial condition of FTX and Alameda that were not true. Um, he said on November 7th on Twitter that FTX has enough to cover all client holdings and that we don't invest client assets even in securities. He later deleted that tweet. It became clear that that was not true. They did not have enough to cover all the holdings. They had been lending out client assets to their affiliated entity, Alameda, and then accepting as collateral these effectively magic beans. Uh, the, the very brief way to describe the nature of the scam here, it's like, Ken, if, if I create a billion shares in my house, and then I sell one share of that to my husband uh, for a dollar. And then I say, well, the market capitalization of my house now is a billion dollars because I sold one one billionth of it for a dollar. And therefore, I'm going to take all of these shares in my house and post them as collateral 
for a loan from a related company that I also own, and it's going to lend me $500 million worth of valuable stuff. But it's okay. I'm solvent because there's this billion-dollar asset, my house, that backs all of that up. And so basically, FTT and Alameda had issued that you, anyone can make up their own cryptocurrency. And there were some pretty small trades in this currency. And then a, billions of these coins then held on the balance sheet of these entities. And they say, well, you know, when you look at this small amount of trading and you multiply it by the huge pile of these that we have here, that means that the fully diluted market capitalization, term they use, means that this is, you know, several billion dollars worth of assets on my balance sheet. Never mind, if you actually go out into the market and try to sell a billion shares in my house at a dollar a piece, you're not going to find takers for that. You are, in fact, insolvent. So I guess one question would be, Sam Bankman-Fried believed a lot of nonsense. What if he sincerely believed that those magic beans were really worth that? If it was his, his sincere view that this thing that he created out of thin air, that it really was worth billions of dollars, and that's why he can go around saying that these entities are solvent. Basically, you'd have to convince a jury, if you were doing this case, that that wasn't the case, that he didn't believe it. And bear in mind that securities fraud can involve not just false statements of fact, but omissions, crucial things that you don't put into the statement that make it misleading without that information being there. The way you'd go after someone like this, who's going to argue, I actually believed in these magic beans, is to point to inconsistent statements, point to times that he said things that are demonstrably not true at the time, point to times where he left out obviously relevant stuff uh, that he knew was relevant, all that stuff. And, and the thing with these you know, boy geniuses uh, is that they tend to just kind of say stuff without really thinking it through, without the way you and I understand, uh, you know, fidelity to the truth, kind of in mm-hmm. a Donald Trumpian sort of the way, you know, right. just just talking based on how they feel. Well, in a way, it's similar to the stuff with Trump and the what the New York Attorney General is pursuing him over civilly, the making statements about the value of various assets that he or his businesses own. It is. That were untethered from reality. And one of the questions is, well, was he so untethered from reality that he believed the statements at the time he made them? Yeah, and it's actually not that far removed from Trump's famous statement at deposition that his net worth fluctuated based on how he felt about himself on any particular day, which is which is basically uh, all this is dressed up in techno babble bullshit. Obviously, it's premature to talk about sentencing here. Uh, but one one thing that's sort of fun to think about with this case is, you know, the sentencing guidelines, if you have a fraud or a theft or that sort of thing, are linked to the the value of the uh, the amount of money or the amount of valuable assets that were involved in the fraud. And so here we're, we're potentially talking about a multi-billion dollar fraud. So what do the sentencing guidelines say about that sort of thing? Well, naturally, I looked. But uh, (laughs) the sentencing guidelines, uh, the tables for fraud actually top out at $550 million. (laughs) So, I mean, there's, I guess you would say there's, there's no incentive not to keep going. Once you're there, you might as well run the table for $10 billion. Uh, But suffice it to say, just based on the amount, that already takes up like into the 20 years in federal prison level before you also start applying other factors. So he would, without a doubt, if he's charged with a federal crime, be looking at a very significant amount of time in federal prison. Now, granted, as we've seen, federal judges tend to be more tender to uh, white-collar criminals than to people involved in drugs or violent crime or things like that. But uh, this is well, not, not a- Not if you're Bernie uh, Madoff. 
This is not an ankle bracelet situation, <laughs> Josh. He's, he's, he's not going to be uh, confined to his home uh, for six months. <laughs> confined to his polycool penthouse full of beanbags in the Bahamas. Uh, exactly. Which is, which is on the market. It's one, of, it's one of the actual tangible assets that is not a magic bean uh, that is associated with Sam Bankman-Fried. So that, you know, that, that's at least something. At least, they have the, at least they have the penthouse, but I hope, they, uh, I hope they wash it down with Lysol before they go in there. Yeah, I mean, frankly, when you read the sort of thing he and the other people in these circles write and say, you kind of have to wonder whether being in a 10-person uh, roommate situation with them is really uh, that much better than, say, a nice medium security federal prison. <laughs> in some place. That concludes this week's free episode of Serious Trouble. If you want to hear that conversation about Elon Musk and whether he needs to obey the things that regulators tell him to do and whether he can face some really large fines at Twitter for apparently ignoring certain consent agreements that Twitter had made with the Federal Trade Commission, talk about that and Elon Musk's trip to Delaware to testify in the Delaware Chancery Court. Uh, And then we also talk about Donald Trump. We talk about his ongoing effort to shield certain documents that were seized at Mar-a-Lago from federal government review. And we talk about some civil litigation that isn't going so great for him, including one lawsuit, a RICO lawsuit brought against Hillary Clinton and 28 other people over the Steele dossier and the the Russia investigation stuff, um, where not only is he not winning that lawsuit, uh, there was a substantial sanctions order against his attorneys for bringing what the judge called a performative lawsuit. So I think that's that's all a really fun and interesting conversation. If you want to hear it, I encourage you, go to SeriousTrouble.show, sign up. You can become a paying subscriber again for $6 a month or $60 a year. Um, And you'll have that whole conversation and every future premium episode we put out of this show. Thanks for listening.